holding money is the literal opposite of investing money. Um, you, you're telling every entrepreneur who's asking you for money that he's not good enough, that his projects are not important enough, uh, that that not investing is better than investing. Um, and this just means we will reduce our resource consumption substantially with every sat that you hold. Uh, the You reduce the amount of resources allocated today uh, so that we have more resources available in the future. Hello and welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. I'm your host, Luke the Pseudo-Finn, and I'm here as usual with Knut Svanholm. Good evening, Knut. Good evening, Luke. Uh, nice to be here again. We're recording a bunch of these and I'm enjoying every second of it. Same here, same here. We've uh, we've got uh, a lot of great people lined up, including today's guest, uh, free software entrepreneur Max Hillebrand. You might know him from Wasabi Wallet. He's also involved in a whole bunch of other things. Uh, super smart guy, too. He's been on uh, loads of pods. We're uh, uh, thrilled to have him on, on this one. So... Uh, just quickly before we uh, bring him on, uh, just a reminder, the best way to support the show, if you'd like to do that, is to use a value for value podcasting app such as Fountain or Breeze. And you can send us a boost or stream us some sats there. Uh, we always appreciate that. And if you share our podcast or videos, we also appreciate that too. You can subscribe to the Consensus Network YouTube channel as well. And Consensus is really the platform that we're trying to build here. The Freedom Footprint Show is the first big content um, push that uh, Consensus is bringing out. And they do lots of other stuff, translations of Bitcoin books into tons of different languages and a whole bunch of other things. So uh, check them out at consensus.network. And, and I think, can... uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no. you, can, you can buy my stupid shit at knutsvonum.com, including this beautiful embroidered t-shirt. So <laughs> yeah. I nearly wore the same one tonight, actually. <laughs> that would have been good if we were matching. <laughs> yeah, you'll wear But okay, let's... Let's bring Max on. Yeah, one of my favorite people in the whole world, Max Hillebrand. Good to oh, see you thank again. Thank you very much, guys, for the invite. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this one. Been a fan of the Consensus Network since, uh, well, day zero, and very glad to be joining this production of it as well. Good to hear. And uh, we've been talking a lot lately um, in in real life. I mean, we we uh, first we met on Madeira and then we met in Riga. I'm doxing you now, Max. I realized that here in hindsight, uh, but but this is the past, so it's okay. So we met in Riga and we met in Amsterdam and we met in in Prague, and we had some wonderful conversations. I I know I really love deep diving into these uh, into praxeology and all sorts of uh, other philosophical stuff with you and and the others. Uh, yeah, so I, I thought we'd we'd start from from somewhere where we left off, <laughs> or maybe maybe clue some people in first because we we uh, we took the conversation quite far. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, the rabbit holes yeah. get really long, especially when we're on long endless walks uh, throughout the cities at late night. You know <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, you you recommended some books to me and two of the best books I've read lately or ever. Uh, <laughs> one was The Ethics of Liberty by Murray Rothbard, 
which you have a That's wonderful amazing. little walk through uh, with Robert Breedlove about on his what's, um, What is Money show. Uh, and that book was really eye-opening. But then you recommended one with a boring-ass title called uh, <laughs> uh, Economic Science and the Austrian Method, I believe, uh, yes. by, by Hans Hermann Hoppe. And that one was really good. Uh, so I mm. recommend that to everyone. Where that's the one where he introduces the argument axiom uh, and uh, a lot of other good stuff. So, um, yeah, I woke up early this morning uh, and started writing stuff about craxiology, being all, you know, um, it felt like a productive morning for once. <laughs> so uh, so I, I started writing a piece based on um, some other stuff uh, and... Uh, realized quickly that uh as i as i know from from other subjects the best way to 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 absolutely learn something properly yourself is to teach it to others so so i'm trying to do that and so let's have a a conversation about praxeology shall we yeah oh, that's awesome it's, it's good <laughs> that you're getting into writing about praxeology because i'm i'm well, I, I put it onto my to-do list like years ago, but man, yeah. it's a tough thing. Man, I haven't written a, a page for like half a year or something. So, so good that you're doing it. While I'm being <laughs> yeah. lazy. Well, we'll, we'll see what, what happens with that writing. So sometimes I just discard stuff and start on something else instead. Yeah. But, but we'll see. Um, it's kind of intimidating since the 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 texts that have all been already been written about it are so brilliant. So, so it's hard to contribute something new. But maybe we could, you know, explain it in layman's terms uh, somehow too, if 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 you even can do that. But the basic premises of praxeology are quite easy. The the way I see it, uh, especially after the Hopper book, is that there are two main branches of science, and one is a posteriori science, which is most sciences are a posteriori, which means that they are based on empirical evidence and something you know from experience. But praxeology is more like mathematics in the sense that it's an a priori science, uh, which means that you, instead of uh, trying to prove things by, by showing examples of why it works, uh, you, you use deductive reasoning alone, uh, and you start from a, a couple of self-evident um, self axioms such as uh, the first axiom of praxeology, which is human action is a purposeful behavior. Uh, so when a human being does something on purpose, that's an action. Uh, and that's the definition of the word action in uh, the praxeological sense. Uh, and then you, you, you start from a bunch of other, or a couple of other axioms, that are introduced later and from these axioms alone or axioms are sort of facts that you, you you have to take for granted in order to to do the rest of the reasoning and from them you can you can come to conclusions that are robust and can't really be argued against since you can't argue uh, against the basic truths uh, one of them is that i if I try to uh, just take apart the first axiom that human action is purposeful behavior, I have to argue with you that it's not, and thereby I'm doing something on purpose. 
uh, <laughs> it's a purposeful action. So, so by by trying to argue against it, uh, I, uh, I I prove the the uh, axiom to be true. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, like the uh, another great book that goes into this is uh, the biography by Ludwig van Mises uh, called The Last Night of Liberalism uh, by Jörg Guido Hulsman. And it, there you really, uh, he lays out uh, the the really, well, hefty fighting amongst uh, philosophers of like the early 20th century about how to think about different areas of life. And of course, with the scientific revolution going on, which was the a posteriori uh, um, uh, way of thinking, uh, physics, for example, right? We, we pick up a ball, and we let it go, and it just falls down, not just once, but every time. And, and, and then we can start deducing some realizations about how this world operates based on the, the perceived uh, happenings of, of history. And, and, and I mean, you know, that uh, physics and, uh, and these other objective scientists were, were of course, mind-blowing for us and, and extremely, extremely helpful. I mean, just look where the scientific revolution got us. Uh, on on so many aspects, right? Uh, um, yeah, well, with with everything, you know, engineering, medicine, all of these things, astrology and and such. So astrology. Early, <laughs> <laughs> so so early philosophers about economics were then trying to apply the same methodology for for economics, right? Uh, but that led to well many many fallacies, many bad realizations that if you look at them closely, they, they don't really make sense. Like uh, uh, one of those key things was, for example, the, the intrinsic value of goods. And so uh, the, the, the observation was like, because someone traded, uh, let's say, uh, two apples for a steak, that means that these, these two units, like the, the two apples and the steak are of equal value. Uh, because they they were exchanged, right? But um, and that uh, so um, that sounds reasonable at first, but then if if you look closer, like if if they were truly of equal value, then why would they be exchanged? You know that that doesn't really make sense because why why would you do something if 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 what you get is is the, the as equal as as what you had before? Yeah. Um, and and there were numerous of these small fallacies. So, for example, you know why why is water something that humans need to survive? Why is that so super cheap? But yeah. diamonds, something that is a, a luxury good, so to say, uh, why is that so super expensive? You know, if, if we really really need water, that should be much more expensive than than these diamonds that that nobody has a real use for other than looking at. Uh, so these were a lot of the economic puzzles that 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 were were bothering people, uh, and they couldn't really find explanations. And then that uh, this just genius from Vienna uh, called Karl Menger uh, came up with a couple realizations uh, like subjective marginal uh, value judgments, uh, meaning that value is not intrinsic in the goods and resources, uh, but rather value is is within the eye of the beholder, um, meaning that well we can't really say how valuable a a certain thing is. You can't quantify it. Uh, in, into a certain number, and then you can add it up. You know, a, a, an apple doesn't have five utils, and a steak doesn't have ten utils. So two apples, five plus five equals a steak. Uh, that's not how that's not how it works. O on the contrary, it's all about uh, let's say opportunity cost and about uh, subjective marginal preferences, right? So, um, uh, for example, that the the first unit of an apple, like let's say you're you're completely starving. 
right? If you haven't eaten for, for weeks and all of a sudden someone gives you an apple, well, this, this one apple saves your life because otherwise you would be starving. So that first apple is extremely, extremely valuable to you. It's, it's literally a matter of life and death. What about the second apple? Right? Now, now you've already satiated some of your, of your existential hunger. Of course, you, you could still eat, you know, but um, it, it's, that second apple is, is marginally less valuable than the first. And the third apple is still nice to have, but you know, you're getting pretty full. So it decreases in value even further. And let's say after the fifth or sixth apple, eventually you're so full of it that, that you would puke if you would eat another one. Um, so th uh, the, that means that we have a, a cardinal uh, valuation, meaning we can say that some things are more valuable than others, but we cannot say by how much these are, are more valuable, right? So that's, uh, it, sorry, it's, it's not cardinal, um, it, it is ordinal. So cardinal would, would mean five, uh, apple has five utils and the second apple has five utils. So together they have 10 utils and that's, that's uh, cardinal versus ordinal uh, means about ordering, right? So you can say, okay, I prefer a steak over an apple, right? Or I value the second apple less than the first apple. Um, but I don't know by how much I value it more or less. Um, and yeah. these were some of the realizations by Karl Menger uh, who, that really kickstarted a, a, a massive evolution in, in economic thought. Yeah, and and uh, that ordinal thing it can it can also be that you prefer three apples to five apples because you don't have enough storage for for more mm -hmm. than three. So 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 it's even more complicated than that, and it goes back to the basic uh, the basic uh, insight that value is entirely. Subjective is it is something that starts and ends in in our heads, um, or hearts, yeah. uh, or hearts, or whatever our hearts desire. Uh, I believe that what happens in our hearts happens in our heads too. But that's a, a different discussion. Um, yeah. What, what what are some of the other? Uh, oh, oh, speaking about Menger, wasn't there? Uh, didn't he? Uh, you know. Uh, disclude if that's even a word uh, uh some things from from this subjective theory of value i think there was something about cosmetics or something because <laughs> uh so th this is a historical you know even the great thinkers make mistakes about s certain mm -hmm. things and and Men menger wasn't a perfect uh, person and uh, uh like none of us are but but so, so we have this body of work of the praxeological thinkers of the of the twentieth century, but none of them were uh, were absolutely perfect. So it's still a, a a branch of science that is very much yet to be explored, and it's it's getting a bit of a renaissance now that Bitcoin has been introduced to the scene, uh, because people like us uh, tend to nerd out on these things, and we find them immensely valuable to think about. Yeah. Because it's all of a sudden there's a social science that makes sense. Because if there's something I remember from school, it's hating the social sciences because of, you know, always thinking that. But hang on, this isn't true. This is an opinion, <laughs> and exactly. uh, th this is just uh, whatever you're telling me here about borders or taxes or institutions that they're just products of the human imagination. That they're not as you know real as mathematics. And I always found that so annoying. That you were given this beautiful, beautiful knowledge in form of mathematics and, and physics and so on, uh, which uses a lot of deductive reasoning too. It's not only observation, but you use mathematics to 
to make things easier. But there was nothing similar in the realm of social social sciences. So uh, if, if you like me are, are looking for something to explain uh, human beings, really, <laughs> uh, praxeology is is the the rabbit hole to fall down, and there's so much to find there. Uh, what are the other starting axioms? One, one is about uh, property. How, how, how is property defined by, by praxeology? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. So, so property isn't... It's I a relationship, it's, right? Between... Yeah, exactly, right? It, it, yeah. It's the relationship among, among humans and their resources, so to say. Mm -hmm. Um, and and the body in in that sense is a resource of of the individual uh, and a property or property rights are the a a conclusion of of reality uh, in the sense that humans have purposeful behavior they act uh, and that behavior is associated with allocation of scarce resources and so we have certain desires uh, or in other words we have problems and we want to solve those problems we want to to um, uh, to satisfy uh, our desires, and in order to do so, we need to apply and utilize resources. However, these resources are such that they can only be applied for for one given task at, at any given time. You know, if if I have a steak in front of me, like either I eat the steak or Knut eats the steak, we're both hungry, and right? uh, but there's only one one like only one of us can utilize the scarce resource. Uh, so there's a potential of conflict over who can allocate these resources to alleviate his problems. And yeah, alleviate problems. That's how how Mises put it. To uh, we all do stuff for one, one single basic reason, and that is to remove a felt uneasiness. Mm -hmm. So that's where all action stems from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. We we have problems. We want to solve them because well, they are problems and they bother us. And and we expect that. Um, by a certain mode of acting, these problems will be gone in the future, right? We uh, so you know you're hungry. That doesn't feel good, and we we make the entrepreneurial judgment that if I were to cook a steak and to eat it, I it, it, that future me would have less problems or at least different problems than I have right now. Uh, meaning I'm no longer hungry if I actually do that. Uh, so that's a uh, and of course right that that doesn't even that's not a, a, a it's not a certainty that if I eat the steak, I'm gonna be hungry or I'm, I'm gonna be satiated. Uh, it, it might be that you know the the steak is rotten actually, and I only find that out after I take the first bite. Um, and that would be entrepreneurial error. Uh, I, I tried to apply my my resources to solve a problem, but in the end, I didn't succeed. The problem is still there. Maybe it got worse, and now the resources are consumed. Uh, or, or at least applied in, into these production stages. Yeah, and understanding this is is very crucial to understanding what's wrong with empirical science, because all of empirical science might be wrong uh, in the sense that you know the experiments may be carried out meticulously and so on and so forth, but they may still come to the draw the wrong conclusions and and that has happened over and over again in in all sorts of sciences newton is a great experience uh, mm -hmm. uh, example because his his theories turned out to be wrong but we didn't figure that out until cent or 
centuries later um yeah when einstein came up with his theories and and after that those were debunked as well at least to a certain extent so mm -hmm. so but but it's hard to argue with uh you know a priori uh, uh science just because of the fact that it's a priori that it's it stems from reasoning alone and it's mm -hmm. devoid of human opinion uh, to to as large of an extent as you as you can uh, yeah. remove opinion from from science yeah i mean these a priori sciences can can be well, well wrong in quotes if your assumptions are wrong if your axioms are wrong or if you have a logical deductive uh, mistake right uh, when when you when you misuse logic and that it happened frequently like menger mises rothbard all of these made logical errors in some of their analysis uh, that doesn't mean that that praxeology is wrong. It just means that you were not consistent in applying reason on top of the axioms uh, in, in in these analyses. Uh, but but or, that's or that the scanner. axioms themselves were were wrong somehow. It, yeah. So you have to really really be careful to check your axioms, right? But um, uh, uh, action is purposeful behavior. Like that's a pretty solid axiom. I mean, try to take it apart. Uh, but as Hoppe points out in, in economic science and the Austrian method, I, it is, well, the, the arguments for, for why these axioms are, are good are very, very strong. And as far as I know, nobody has laid out a, a, a way to refute them. Um, so, so far, we're good. Doesn't mean that in the future we find out that, no, actually, uh, action is not really purposeful behavior. Uh, but that's all I, I would say that's not... Not likely. Uh, but if that were to happen, then yes, all of the economic or praxeological reasoning on top of that would be flawed as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, epistemology comes to mind. Like That's like the underlying science between uh, of how we do science, right? So, so uh, mm -hmm. and there, there, there has been people uh, that have critiqued the, the methods of the Austrians. Some some of those are are just people from other regular a posteriori uh, branches of science that call it suicide and uh, pseudo scientific just because of the fact that um, it doesn't use uh, empirical evidence so it can't prove anything but the the praxeological counter argument is that just what i said a couple of minutes ago that that it is the other way around. If you can't reason yourself to position, uh, that's when you can't take it for granted uh, because observation can always be wrong because it requires uh, an, ob an observer of a, of a certain event. And as we know from quantum mechanics, an observer is, to, to some extent interferes with the reality it is observing. So, uh, so there's that. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, and and the fact that th that the situation changes with with every action, uh, and if you if you would take an uh, a historical view, um, you know, the question of does minimum wages lead to unemployment? Uh, you you could look at a society where minimum wage laws have been enacted, and, and then see, okay, that unemployment numbers go up or down, right? But the 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 big or so let's let's assume maybe even here unemployment went down right so so more people got a job uh, because of or as there was minimum wages uh, enacted well can we reproduce this in the future no 
because the entire situation changes. Right? Uh, the, the next society that we would look at has different jobs, different people, different problems. Uh, and so we can Different have, money. Uh, different monies, exactly. Like everything is different. Uh, and, and so we cannot have a, a clear scientific experiment where we, where we can reproduce uh, the, in, the, in the same, well, clean environment, so to say, because the environment always changes and the humans always change. You're not the same person that you were before you ate the steak. You're fundamentally different because you're no longer hungry. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's uh, that's why all the other economic sciences or so-called economic sciences are wrong because the market is always dynamic. Uh, one of the favorite, my favorite examples uh, that I use that people misinterpret so often is prices uh, and what prices are. Because prices are nothing but uh, historical data points. They, sh they show you what someone was willing to give up in a certain currency for a certain good at a certain point in time, and namely the last time the item was bought. So even, even like a bottle of milk in the supermarket, the, the price tag on the bottle is not the, what the bottle is worth uh, because you decide if you want to buy it or not. And if everyone decides that the price is too high, the milk, uh, the the supermarket won't make any money off of milk, so they will have to adjust the price to uh, uh, to whatever one to the wants and the needs of the customers. Mm -hmm. And this is why, yeah, you know, in fact, the 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 price displayed for the milk, if people buy the milk, that's actually a proof that the milk is more valuable than the amount of money that was displayed in the price, because otherwise people wouldn't have bought it; they would have kept the money as that amount of money is more valuable to them than the liter of milk. Exactly. So that tells the merchant that he can raise the price of the milk if he still manages to sell all the milk and doesn't have to throw any out and they can make a calculation. Exactly. And this is why prices are such a vital uh, part of a functioning society and a functioning market because it tells people uh, what other people want and need and have the resources to acquire. So it tells you a lot about society on, on the whole and what we're able and capable of acquiring with, with what amount of effort on our part. And uh, so, so that's, that's another one of these uh, subsets of uh, Praxeology. It explains very uh, well why why price signals are so important. This is, we're we're skipping a whole bunch of steps in in, pra in praxeology here. That's uh, not proper reasoning, right there. No, no. But but um, uh, th this is why any type of interventionism in a market uh, where uh, it, it screws with the price signals. And thereby, it makes it harder for for people to acquire the skills um, in order to to provide other other human beings with what they actually want from you. So, uh, so uh, over time, in a society with uh, with high taxes and uh, or even with small taxes and uh, a little inflation, uh, that's uh, that fucks with the. The pricing signals as well and makes people acquire skills that they don't really need except for that reality which they happen to find themselves in at that point in time uh, but in the long run it, it makes um, people less productive 
Yeah, I know. And as we said earlier, values are uh, ordinal. And we, we don't know about how much you value something. We, we just know that you value something more than, than the other alternative. However, prices are very much uh, a, a cardinal, right? So, so there is a clear number and, and five Bitcoin is half as much as 10 Bitcoin. Uh, and that is, that is a in, incredible feat of a monetary system and, and a price system that we've transformed something that is ordinal into something that is cardinal. And all of a sudden, um, a calculation becomes possible right? uh, about, uh, uh, about, about many things, uh, including about resource allocation, about profit uh, and, and such. It's that's the, like money is, is, is so utterly important just for that fact alone. Yeah, and it works as long as the money doesn't, the money itself doesn't lose its value over time. So you need the money to be somewhat scarce. Uh, and uh, some would say it needs to be fixed. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so like the, the, the praxeological definition of, of scarcity uh, is, it has nothing to do with abundance. Uh, scarcity is a binary phenomenon. So either something is scarce or something is not scarce. Uh, and scarce in the sense of there's a potential conflict. There's an exclusivity over over who can apply these resources. Right? Either Knut spends the 10 Bitcoin or I spend the 10 Bitcoin. Um, so th that is scarcity. Um, and yeah. then abundance is a secondary factor. Yeah, yes. So scarcity is uh, refers to what what's actually available on the market and and not what's uh, uh, has nothing to do with the total supply of something well uh, so i mean it, it's it goes deeper than that maybe you have a better explanation yeah yeah so uh, there's there's lots of nuance here and even there's disagreements about these types of definitions of the words amongst austrians right but uh, so some some say that something is scarce if there is more demand than supply right because then there is actually a conflict uh, you know, like, uh, for example, air, uh, the actual molecules, like either I breathe them in or Knut breathes them in. So there is definitely an exclusivity. However, they are in a state of superabundance. There is so much air around us that we don't need to worry about who gets to breathe the air because there's plenty enough for everyone. And They're also means... fungible. <laughs> yes. Uh, so so that just means there's a, a well, superabundance of air and therefore there is no conflict over who gets to breathe in the air. And because there is no conflict, we don't need any system of property rights to allocate who can uh, who can breathe this air. But uh, let's go all of a sudden underwater. We're now scuba divers, and we have you know a bottle of of uh, compressed air with us, or oxygen, and, and all the other molecules inside. Knut and I um, are are swimming underwater, just one bottle. All of a sudden, there's a very limited amount of air available, and there's only one mouthpiece to take the air out. Uh, so now there is a conflict over who can use this very exclusive, scarce, and limited amount of air uh, available. A and now we need property rights as a solution to the conflict of who can allocate these resources to alleviate his problems. Yeah, funny you take uh, you you brought up that example because I use a similar example in my first book, the the one I brought to Riga three years ago, uh, the. Uh, uh, which is like uh, your your next breath can be immensely valuable to you if if you're a, a free diver trapped under ice, but worth nothing if you're a person with a death wish in clean forest air. So yeah. uh, another example would be water, uh, which is artificially 
made artificially scarce uh, to some extent and in some places on the uh, of the some corners of the world it it is scarce but it, but uh and in some places it's so abundant that you can't charge people anything for it really so uh mm-hmm. so uh yeah and technology technology is a factor to make goods more abundant right yeah. if if you live in a i don't know swampy area for example with a bunch of dead animals lying around in the water uh, all of a sudden there's lots of toxins and whatnot in, in the water so it's it's not it's not suitable for human consumption it does not alleviate your problem of of thirst in fact it kills you uh, so uh, then well uh, clean water is not abundant there's a lot of conflict over who can drink it, and, and so we do need the property rights. How, however, if humans develop a way to filter out the toxins from, from the swamp uh, in order to create a bunch of, well, clean water, uh, so much that it becomes super abundant, then everyone just drinks the water because, well, it's it's everywhere. Now. And uh, here, that's yet another reason why well, uh, um, it is important to have property rights and uh, and entrepreneurial activity being encouraged because entrepreneurs come up with ways to solve your problems easier, cheaper, and at larger scale, right? There's, there's plenty of way to, for example, catch the, um, the, uh, the, the water molecules inside the atmosphere, even when you're in the Sahara, you know, in the morning, there's a bunch of, uh, condensate, uh, condensated water, uh, available, and you could in theory build devices that catch this. And all of a sudden there's a plethora of, liquid, human drinkable, and clean water available in the Sahara, making it a very abundant resource all of a sudden. The reason why it's not abundant yet is because humans have not uh, deployed the capital to to uh, transform the atmosphere into liquid water. Yeah, the, the way I describe uh, technology and tools in general in, in the, the latest book is uh, that all tools and technologies have the same basic function there there or basic purpose and that is to save someone time somewhere so everything we invent uh, affects uh the the temporal dimension it, it affects our uh, b- because uh, everything else that we assign value to is connected to time in that sense the the only true scarce truly scarce resource uh for 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 each human being uh regardless of of status or anything else or or how much money you have in the bank is is human time because it is limited for each and every one of us so so everything else we do is connected to that um if if we're mindful of our time we can we can achieve more uh and we can live richer lives uh so so what, what what are your thoughts on time and and time saving in that sense yeah, it's it's an interesting way of thought, but I'm still not sure if if time itself is actually scarce. Uh, time, to some extent, in a praxeological view, is is the, the 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 temporal points before and after the action. Right. So you're hungry, you eat. You're no longer hungry. That process of you eating, the process of you acting, is time in and of itself. And well. Uh, maybe what's what's more scarce is your attention. Maybe where, where do you apply your actions? Uh, meaning, where, where do you apply your your work across time? Um, uh, because that is very much exclusive. You know, either you eat or you're asleep. You can't do both at the same time. 
and, and that exclusivity means it has to be allocated really wisely. Um, because if you eat all the time, you're never going to sleep. Uh, and um, yeah, if it, like time is not an, an actual resource in it of itself. It's it's more of a a consequence of resource allocation, something like that. Oh, this is very interesting because either it's the only resource or it's not a resource at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I, I think we can, you know, come up with arguments for, for both sides of that. <laughs> this inevitably leads us to, to Bitcoin and Bitcoin being as scarce as human time or scarce is that as finite is the word I should use, right? I shouldn't use the word scarce. I should use the word mm -hmm. finite. So. So bitcoins are have a limited supply because we agree that that it does basically, uh, and uh, therefore uh, I view them as a perfect representation of this uh, finite amount of days or or weeks or uh, hours or seconds you have on this earth, uh, and therefore I think they can function as a good form of money. Um, I'm struggling to even view them as money since since they're uh, they're basically just an agreement on a fixed set of rules that enables mathematic uh, mathematical formula uh, to uh, uh, to ensure that something uh, in the mathematical realm cannot be copied and therefore can stay finite uh, for for also foreseeable future. Uh, this is hard to explain. <laughs> if, 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 if you want to more to explain, uh, um, she had it absolutely right on that uh, point. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts on that and Bitcoin's connection to time? Um, yeah. If you want more, more of my thoughts, read my books. <laughs> so, you know, Bitcoin is a lot of things, and one thing that Bitcoin is is, is software. You know, I, um, arguably a, a set of rules, a set of instructions for the computer to compute things, uh, and arguably those are math formulas. Right? So the, the code itself is non-scarce. Uh, I, I can download the code and read it and run it on my computer. Knut can do the same, right? The, the actual code is not scarce. There's no conflict over who can run the Bitcoin source code. It's just speech. Uh, so it's, that is fundamentally non-scarce. However, we need a computer to compute the source code, and that is physical material. You know, that is silicon, that is plastic, that is metals, all the things inside a computer. Those are well, very much scarce. Let me interrupt you there and say that you don't really need one. It just makes the whole process a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's but the thing, do, right? we, doing we, it by pen and paper is, is hard and time-consuming. for. Exactly, right? So yeah. we apply resources into production stages to produce tools that we can use to run these computations at a breakneck speed, way faster than it would ever be possible for humans, right? And, and that's the other thing with, with, with capital goods and, and uh, with, with production tools. They, they help you to alleviate problems that without them would be not just time intensive, but utterly impossible to do. Like, I mean, it's a nice joke that you could compute the Bitcoin software by hand, but in actual reality, it is literally impossible. Right? It, it, it just would not work, um, full stop. Uh, I saw a video once of, of a guy trying to do it. So he was uh, <laughs> he, yeah. he calculated a hash. Of course, he didn't get any zeros in the beginning, so he had to start over again. 
Exactly, right? He has to <laughs> so, calculate so, yeah. one, he calculated one hash and it yeah. took him like two days or something. Yes. And um, so, yeah. it, it, like, and, and like your computer does way more than just calculating one hash in order to run the Bitcoin source code, right? Like, just alone to write down the source code by yourself would be so utterly, insanely complex, uh, let alone to execute it, right? To put input into that huge formula and to calculate the output. Like, it's, it, it's, well, literally impossible. Like, I, okay, arguably, yes, you could do it in a billion years or something, but for all intents and purposes, it's just impossible, right? So you, you it ties into time because you would need an infinite amount of time or, or near, well, near infinite is an oxymoronic too, but you would oh, need but way yeah. more time than a human lifetime to do it. And by that but time... Arguably, like, this is so complex that your your own compute power is not enough to deal with it. Like... Uh, or at the very least, you would need a pen and paper, right? So, you, <laughs> which are arguably is is a tool that you're using. It's not quite a computer, but it it's something that aids you in computation. And yeah. so, there's, uh, you know, are you going to keep like 700 gigabytes of blockchain no. data in memory? <laughs> like, yeah, sure, right? Jokes aside, but here, the, going to the pen and paper, no single human being on Earth can construct a pen and a, a, a piece of paper on their own. Mm -hmm. So the pen and the paper are also products of a, a functioning, somewhat functioning free market and a global one at that, because the mineral, like the graphite needed for, for the, and the lead needed for the pen um, probably comes from another continent than the wood in the pen and the, the paint coating and, and the, the, yeah. the varnish. All of a sudden, it's not just about cutting down a tree to get a wood. All of a sudden, you need to build a ship to cross a fucking ocean. So you need to like, exactly. develop steel, uh, and you yeah. need to get the theory of buoyancy, and like you know, like yeah, yeah, big fucking ship. And so I crossed oceans with yourself. fucking ships, and it's fucking tedious. I can tell you, <laughs> yes, and, and navigating <laughs> a ship. Yeah, good luck coming up with that by yourself. You know, like all now you need to watch the stars for for proper navigation, or you're gonna need satellites for GPS tracking. So good luck building a fucking rocket by yourself. <laughs> Here we so are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but nevertheless, right? So the Bitcoin source code is non-scarce. The computers that, that run the computation are fundamentally scarce. The the ASIC machines are that are specialized for, for hashing SHA-256 over, over Bitcoin block headers, they are very much scarce as well. Um, and you know, ultimately the humans that make decisions based on the result of the computation of the Bitcoin software. Uh, are are also scarce, or at least their 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 body is. Um, so there's well, there's both scarcity and non-scarcity in in Bitcoin, and um, ultimately, uh, Bitcoin is a specific set of rules that helps humans make decisions. Right? Bitcoin doesn't exist in a vacuum. Bitcoin is a tool used by individuals uh, in order. Well, well, and also the security of Bitcoin. Uh, is ultimately based on the security of humans, right? If, um, like uh, Eric Voskiel put this so beautifully with the axiom of resistance, Bitcoin can only save you if you resist coercion. Uh, because if someone puts a gun to your head and tells you, hey, give me your Bitcoin private keys, Bitcoin cannot protect you. Bitcoin can only protect you if you want to be protected and if you're willing to put your life on the line to be protected. Oh, but there's another thing there. Uh, the 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 guy with the gun 
cannot possibly, if you give him some of your Bitcoin and you tell him that that's all my Bitcoin, uh, this private key here that unlocks these Bitcoins here, uh, he has no way of knowing if there are more Bitcoins in your possession or not. Well, yes and no. Um, if you're smart about how to use Bitcoin, yes. If if you're stupid, no. Right? Let's. Uh, let's but how can we know if we are smart or stupid, <laughs> and well, not well, just playing stupid? <laughs> well, I mean, he can he can look on the blockchain and and see about which transactions funded the address of the private key that you just gave him, and he can look at where were these coins spent in the future, and you can deduce with quite a lot of well, depending on the usage of Bitcoin, you can deduce. Uh, certainly the, the transfer of ownership in, into different coins, right? There's, for example, change uh, detection heuristics so that you all of a sudden yeah. know, okay, it's not just this address that you control. You made a payment here and on this other address, you received change. Now you're just shilling wasabi, aren't you? <laughs> no, you know, that's, that's again, right? Bitcoin is a, is a genius tool, but you have to use it properly, right? Yeah. If, if you reuse addresses all but the time, people definitely know how much Bitcoin you have. The genius uh, thing is, Bitcoin enables you to be anonymous. So it, it, you can be a completely anonymous miner. You don't need to sign up. You don't need to have reputation. You don't have, need to have identity in order to start hashing uh, and in order to find a valid proof of work. Right. So definitely, you could have been running, uh, you know, the Bitcoin mining software on your computer in order to get a random block. And yeah, there is no way to actually link this to your identity assuming you did a bunch of other things in your network stack uh, correctly. Um, but, uh, and, you know, same with, with addresses. You can generate a new key. It is indistinguishably random. It could have been generated by anyone. And if you receive coins to there, there is no direct indication that this, this address belongs to you. But of course, if someone knows, for example, your extended public key, where he can derive all of the addresses that you have derived by yourself as well, well, then all of a sudden he knows that, yeah, these hundred addresses on the chain are controlled by one, by one private key ultimately. Yes, but, but apart from that specific, you know, uh, uh, XPUB, you could, you could have bought Bitcoin off from someone off the street or mm -hmm. wherever from a friend that this potential attacker does not know about and gave him whatever in return. And that those Bitcoin could be stored uh, in some by some other means than than that that part of the stack which you were forced to give away. And you can have infinite amounts of these different. I mean, you can you can take on different personas even if, mm -hmm. if that's what you will call it. So so uh, uh, I'm pointing out that for the attacker, it's impossible to to know. Uh, to 100% that he got all of your Bitcoins, which is not true if you store gold bars in a house because you can actually figure out how much gold there is in the house and take all of it. Uh, well, uh, of course, I can know. store gold somewhere else, but Bitcoins are... Exactly. But, right? but, there's, uh, there's a huge planet. You might as well have you know, dug some hole in the ground yeah, but, uh, but, and put the doghouse on top of it. Uh, that's, uh, that's an equally valid argument, right? So but, it, but it, here it we depends go on how you use the tools. Yeah, yes, of course. But here we go into uh, uh, semantics again and something you pointed out to me once, uh, the difference between ownership and possession. Uh, because ownership is contractual and possession is who actually controls the, uh, the thing. And in Bitcoin, that is a, 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 
a special case because in Bitcoin, there's no difference between knowing about the, the private key and owning the Bitcoins. That's the same thing. So, so, uh, so you've moved, you moved possession into the intellectual realm instead of the physical realm. And uh, I personally think that changes everything because it, it, uh, at least reduces the incentives for a potential attacker to attack you. Uh, since you cannot cannot know if you got away with all of it or if you got, uh, you know, it, it makes more sense to provide something of value to the potentially rich Bitcoiner and get something of value back, which is what we're doing now, by the way. So so that makes more sense than than attacking. So so you move the the shelling point of uh, violence uh, out to to a, to a new to a new realm and that. And this is only one aspect of how Bitcoin uh, disincentivizes violence. Uh, there are other aspects of this, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's one of Hans Hopper's uh, amazing contributions in economic science, right? That he uh, he shows that there is a uh, a praxeological ethics where where we can prove that voluntary action is a a net benefit. Uh, for 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 the act for the human actor, uh, and therefore you, it is in your selfish economic best interest uh, to to not steal, uh, because there are consequences to that that are very far reaching, uh, far far more than than just the, the initial perceived one. Um, and well, Bitcoin uh, kind of in, like builds on top of that uh, that that yes, it increases the cost of attack. Across numerous measures, obviously, right, and it decreases the cost of defense. Using Bitcoin is rather cheap. Um, yes, having a computer is, is actually quite an expensive miracle, um, and having the internet infrastructure and such. But but nowadays, thanks to our advanced capital uh, accumulation and our advanced production stages, using Bitcoin has become incredibly cheap, uh, all things considered. Versus attacking it and attacking the individuals using Bitcoin has become quite expensive, um, not just among other things, because using Bitcoin can be anonymous if done correctly. Um, so yes, that that makes collaboration and voluntary exchange even more profitable compared to the alternative of coercion and violence. Uh, so of course, that doesn't mean that um, that economic or th that political actors, uh, thieves, uh, they 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 don't have to act in in their own self interest. Um, they they can um, uh, speculate that the perceived short-term gains outweigh the long-term consequences uh, and, and still try to harass you uh, and try to get the magic number of your private key, ultimately. Yeah, this, this ties into uh, to time preference, of course. Uh, that I, I would consider that type of calculation to be a high time preference <laughs> thing that um, uh, to... to to briefly explain the concept of time preference, a high time preference is when you're the highest form of time preference you can adopt is when you're robbed of everything you own, because then you you automatically adopt a high time preference because you need to find food and shelter in order to survive. So you will prioritize actions that are temporally closer to where you are in time than if you have a low time preference, which is when you uh, built up capital and reputation and stuff over time so that you can be more sure of your survival in the future, so to speak, and, and therefore you can afford to 
to make more long-term decisions and build build things that will last uh, longer. Um, is that an accurate description, you think? Yes, basically. Another word for time preference is delayed gratification. So how long can you postpone the alleviation of your problems into the uncertain future? Uh, and the, the future is definitely uncertain because, well, a piano might fall on top of your head and all of a sudden you're dead. Uh, and then uh, you you delayed the gratification into infinity. You know, you, you didn't eat the steak right now. You wanted to wait another hour, but then you're dead. So you can never get to eat the steak. And so there's there uh, because humans act and uh, because humans are mortal, uh, time preference can never be infinite uh, or zero. Right. They, uh, you, you can't delay your gratification until infinity because eventually you die. Uh, so time preference, therefore, is always positive. Um, you always prefer. And that's another assumption, by the way. Uh, you always prefer things sooner rather than later. Um, I, th I think Eric Voskiel might actually disagree on this, saying that that uh, the fact that time preference is positive is also deduced. Uh, but Mises and I believe even Hoppe uh, still take it as a, a axiom. Yeah, I, I think they do. Yeah, I think that's in human action, if I remember it correctly. In human uh, action, for sure. Uh, yeah, and, and you know this. This is again where where well, uh, Voskiel's argument is that uh, well, time preference is, as the name says, a preference. Uh, and uh, the the axiom of of subjective preferences are uh, are well, are still subjective and and making a, making a statement that for example a, a higher time preference is worse than a lower time preference is very much not praxeological. Um, that's that's a psychological no, claim. But but that's not what we're claiming. We're claiming that you're uh, if you're prone to making more short term decisions, then then you might see that. Uh, uh, we're speculating, of course, but we're speculating about the potential attacker not knowing or ignoring the cons the long-term consequences of a, 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 a violent action uh, and choosing to do it anyway because of a higher time preference. Mm -hmm. um, Hoppe had... had the he got kicked out of university because a bunch of social justice warriors got very angry at a statement that he made uh, that gay people have a higher time preference than straight people because oh, gay yeah. people <laughs> cannot reproduce, right, biologically, yeah. uh, and therefore they don't have children, and therefore they don't think into the future as much as heterosexual people who actually reproduce, biologically speaking, have. Uh, so a bunch of people got pissed off about that statement, but if yeah. you look at it neutrally, uh, that's a pretty good argument, actually. I would say that it's uh, it's highly subjective. I mean, you you can you, you can I I mean children. There, there's nothing concrete about having children giving you a, a lower time preference. It certainly gave me a lower time preference, but that doesn't mean that will happen to everyone. And uh, mm -hmm. well, if then you can also argue from a evolutionary biology perspective and say that if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have survived very long. But that doesn't necessarily make the the gay person um, have a, a higher time preference uh, because you can still think generationally and have some sort of uh, maybe <laughs> maybe you have siblings that have, have offspring that you choose to devote your life to. I mean, uh, it's it, it's it's not a given. <laughs> I would mm -hmm. say, uh, and I would call it bad praxeology. Even <laughs> uh, it's a value judgment to some extent. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's a value judgment.
And Mises um, was very careful with that. And as you mentioned, he was uh, very much interested in epistemology. And he was very clear of, of economics being wertfrei, value-free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, meaning that that we make objective statements here, and they do not include the the reasons for valuation, so to say. No, exactly. It doesn't say why you prefer the stake. It just uh, <laughs> notices that you prefer the stake to the two apples. Exactly. So, yeah, that's why uh, Mises was also not an, an anarchist, so to say. He 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 was still a statist in in some aspects, um, mm -hmm. but he. He did explain the consequences of uh, of state statism versus anarchism uh, very well, um, but I he was very different uh, to the later more American Austrian economists yeah. like Rothbard uh, yeah. and ultimately Hoppe. Yeah, yeah, he still believed in in some sort of state, and and especially Hoppe sees the well Rothbard as well sees all state activity as a violation of property rights and criminal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm reading a, a Hopper book at the moment uh, called uh, Theory on uh, Socialism and on Capitalism and Socialism. That's such, uh, such a great book, too. A it's great book, too. This. Very, very good. And it explains social democracy so well, like the, <laughs> the, the light version of the bad stuff. Uh, and it, it was just like reading a history book uh, about Sweden before <laughs> before it actually happened in Sweden, but it's exactly yeah. what has happened in Sweden. He, he lays it out perfectly before it happened and how incompetence will, will uh, over time, more and more incompetence will spread throughout these, these institutions. And uh, because people, people can make money uh, and make a living by by doing unproductive things that aren't good for anyone. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's lacking the creative destruction. One of the, the the most beautiful things about the free market system is that when you fail, you carry the consequences, and you can no longer yeah. fail in the future. And, yeah, uh, because well, you're you're poor, and you, all of a sudden the, you're no longer in control of the resources because you made entrepreneurial mistakes. There's yeah. real consequences to that. Yeah. And yes, that's scary. And many people are not up for, for that challenge. But, well, that's just life, you know, because yeah. we have a limited <laughs> amount of resources. If, if you mess up, then they're gone forever. And yeah. there's no way to getting them back. Um, so, yeah, uh, the creative destruction of after a, a mistake, the resources being reallocated to someone else who presumably still had enough capital to bail you out and to buy out your resources, uh, that, that just means the things are now in better hands, or at least in different hands, uh, and are, are, that person did not fail yet, might still yeah. fail in the future, and, and when that new entrepreneur fails, the capital moves on to the next guy. Yeah, and a clever entrepreneur makes sure that he can he can fail, but he can get wrecked, but but doesn't necessarily have to be ruined. You know, he can mm -hmm. he can lose a part of uh, or a certain aspect of his uh, investment, but but doesn't necessarily have to lose it all. Uh, yeah, and, and also that that even with zero external capital, you you still have your body and you still have your mind. And you still have the entrepreneurial spark and, and that genius of finding out the problems of other people and, and finding efficient and, and good strategies to alleviate them. And, and that creative genius is useful, even if you're poor, and it can yeah. get you out of a state of poverty. Uh, yeah. 
there are numerous examples of uh, all, spread all throughout history everywhere of people doing exactly that. Yeah, it's it's the human condition, you know yeah. that 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 drive to solve problems and that creative genius of envisioning ever more and more effective ways of doing so. It is absolutely beautiful and and it is something to to love about humankind and, and to cherish and to build system systems that that support this and that uh, well that that help entrepreneurs to flourish uh, that that is absolutely and without the shadow of a doubt the the way out of well, poverty and and into prosperity and it is something that is achievable for for everyone as, as long as you're a human actor you have that capacity yeah if you have uh, inflationary money, like if you have uh, fiat currency in the system, uh, that that will in incentivize people to consume rather than spend, because prices in such a system go up over time, and the more inflation you have, the faster this process is. So, so in in countries like Venezuela uh, and Zimbabwe, where where the country where the currency is hyperinflating, people tend to try to spend their, their their money as soon as possible. And what that means is that that society, that type of society will prioritize consumer goods uh, and producing a lot of them um, over time. So, so, so more and more resources will get, get allocated or I would say misallocated into things, into shit we don't need. And uh, the way I see it, this is the this is the main problem of humanity. Like that, all other problems stem from this this underlying problem, especially environmental problems, uh, which I view as the, they they cannot be solved unless this very basic problem of overconsumption is solved first. Uh, Bitcoin is the other way around, and uh, the the more I think about it, the more I I see it as the like one divided by the current system. <laughs> so it's the literal inverse of what's going on right now. Uh, in the long run, it's deflationary. And you could say that it's even deflationary now because uh, because you can predict uh, the, the coming deflation uh, in it. And uh, I've also come to the conclusion that there can only be one deflationary currency because more than one of them would make them inflationary <laughs> so so there can only be one uh, in the end and uh, uh, we talked about this in Riga about how how w w when more and more people realize how precious this resource is and how little they want to uh, lose their their bitcoins like how precious they become to to people once they once they realize how uh, how immensely valuable they may become and how how precious they really are uh that uh, one of the, uh, the the later talks we had uh we came up with the idea of uh, us you know being nice to one another uh, it's just gresham's law playing out on a bitcoin standard and i i know you've been thinking about that at least a bit since and uh maybe you come to some other conclusion or or uh, what do you think about that in hindsight? Let's let's just explain to the audience what Gresham's law is first, because we uh, I skipped that. Sorry, sorry about that, Max. But go ahead, define it. Uh, well, Gresham's law uh, is it states that um, uh, good money drives out bad money. So so that in in a system where where you have a a crappy currency and a better currency. 
people will tend to use the crappy currency first and hoard the, the better currency. So in a, in a country like Venezuela, people will more voluntarily give up their uh, bolivars for stuff uh, than they, they would uh, give up their US dollars if they had US dollars and bolivars. And uh, this is also true for dollars and gold. People don't very voluntarily sell their gold bar. They, they try to get rid of their dollars first. And uh, the discussion we had in Riga, we came to the conclusion that you would rather give up just about anything before you give up your Bitcoin stack if you're a hodler of last resort. So even giving up your reputational capital and uh, giving your time and effort to other people is just Gresham's law playing out on Bitcoin. So your thoughts on that? Yeah, there. The, Gresham's law was uh, is quite an old one. I think it was like 1700s or something like this. And it it was about a specific specific case of market intervention. A and maybe a more precise way of framing it is that artificially overvalued money drives out artificially undervalued money. Um, so let's let's say uh, like in the actual case back then, you know, you had a, a gold coin and the government puts a mints this coin and says that in here are, is one ounce of gold. Um, and well, there's actually one ounce of gold inside of it. Um, but now someone starts uh, chipping away the, the edges, coin clubbing. Um, the, the imprint still says it's one ounce of gold, but in fact, it's like 0.8 ounces of gold. Now in, in a, in a voluntary free market system, that 0.8 ounces of gold would trade at 0.8 ounces of gold. Uh, however, with the government uh, manipulation, uh, they can have an artificial uh, uh, price system that if the, if a coin has the imprint of the government, it always has to trade at the imprinted value. So it, it, it has to trade for one ounce of gold, uh, even though it's in fact 0.8 ounces of gold. Uh, and that that is now an artificial overvaluation. The actual 0.8 ounces of gold have to trade for one ounce of gold worth of things, right? So now you want to buy something, and and the merchant says, "Okay, it's one ounce of gold," and you have two coins in your hands, a coin that is full, freshly minted with actually one ounce of gold inside of it, versus the clipped coin with 0.8 ounces of gold. Now, um, assuming that you can use the force of the government to to give the that 0.8 ounce gold coin to the merchant and he is now forced to give you the the pizza for an ounce of gold or whatever uh, then obviously you would give that 0.8 ounce coin and hold the one ounce coin um, and that is the artificially overvalued money the 0.8 coin that has to be accepted at face value of one ounce uh, so you you will hoard and not spend the the full new and and undervalued artificially undervalued coin uh, for the overvalued one uh, and, and that is the actual phenomena but but interestingly that the gresham's law only applies if there is state manipulation and and artificial changes of the devaluation of of the money that is used in it of itself and presumably in a hyper bitcoinized world such coercion is no longer um, present and therefore gresham's law in it of itself as it was defined back then, would no longer apply. Now, that's just the background on what Gresham actually meant with oh. these statements. I, I know that you mean something different. Yeah, but a, a point on that: if if we if we uh, 
exclude money altogether from this equation and try to do the same, uh, apply the same logic to barter. If you have uh, too many apples and they will rot uh, tomorrow, you will want to trade the, trade away your apples before you trade away your car or your your gold mm -hmm. bar, right? So, so that's a type of Gresham. I view that as Gresham's law in a sense uh, as well. Or is that called something else? Uh, well, it's the law of diminishing marginal utility, but that's basically what Gresham's law is: the the diminishing return from an extra unit of that thing. Uh, isn't that applicable to money too, in the in the same sense? And isn't that just what Gresham's law is? So there there is a free market alternative to Gresham's law, and that is Thiel's law, uh, which basically states that if if the merchant is not under duress, not under coercion, he will reject your offer of the zero point eight ounce gold coin. He will insist on the one ounce gold coin, right? And, and so this means that in a free market system. Good money drives out bad money. Merchants yeah. will insist in getting paid in the in the high quality and good money, and they will not give you their products or services if you dare to pay them in shit. Right? <laughs> yes, and this is why I believe that hyper Bitcoinization doesn't start until everyone st starts accepting nothing but Bitcoin for their goods and services. When mm -hmm. people start when tears Laura starts taking over after Gresham's law has, <laughs> you know, killed the dollar. Exactly, right? So so here we have this conundrum. Um, merchants in a voluntary system w will always prefer to get paid in magical cyberspace money because it's magical cyberspace money. Everyone wants to get it. Uh, however, the customers don't want to give up their magical cyberspace money, right? Because it's, well, it's magical cyberspace money. You don't want to give it away. You want to hoard as much as fucking possible. Um, so there's there's a big mismatch. But you know what, what solves that mismatch? The price. You know, at some point, the merchant is willing to accept um, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, or like willing to, uh, yeah, at some point, the merchant is going to, you know, give away his stuff. And at some point, the, at some price, the customer is willing to pay for it. Um, and in a free market system, supply and demand will need, and, and there will be a price established. Um, Exactly. Like you will get the velocity of money that Keynesians love to talk about so much from from necessity, uh, which is the natural state of things. Uh, so 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 there's that. But but on to the the point of of uh, so so say at least during this transition period from from non uh, non hyper Bitcoinized world into a hyper Bitcoinized world. Um, the way I see it, like since we're we. It's not only the the Gresham's law thing or whatever you may call it that that is playing out in the background, but it's also uh, we want each other to succeed. Uh, well, <laughs> because we're friends for sure, but also because we're Bitcoiners and we want to help other Bitcoiners succeed. Because if other Bitcoiners succeed, we help Bitcoin succeed. Uh, that that this is another thing I've been thinking about that. Pascal's wager, which I've been a an opponent of for a long time, uh, actually works on uh, if you view Bitcoin as God, <laughs> because is if I act as if Bitcoin exists, uh, I, I I actually increase its uh, uh, chances of success, because the more people that believe in believe in this thing, for lack of a better word, uh, the, the the that will eventually 
reflect itself in a higher price or, or a higher value valuation of, of of Bitcoin, which in turn will will make every Bitcoiner more wealthy and more powerful and more able to influence political decisions and you know write better code and so on and so forth. So so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, money is is the most liquid medium of exchange. So the more merchants demand to get paid in a certain money, the the literally the the higher its value, and it's it's a network effect, right? So it, with every merchant entering the system of exclusively getting paid in Bitcoin and rejecting to get paid in shitcoins like fiat money, uh, then we have an exponential increase of of the value or like the the number of connections possible inside the Bitcoin network while simultaneously having an exponential decrease of the value of the shitcoin networks or the amount of connections being made in the shitcoin system. Um, so yes, that that is definitely a strong thing. And you know, it's 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 not just that uh, we're going to pump each other's bags. Uh, it's it's also that the more people have a, a good money, the more they can, um, the more they can, or the more they're able to to will work on the things that they want to work on. The, the, the wealthier they will be, the more capital that they have, and the more they can specialize on whatever service that they provide. Uh, and with so it just means the more humans we have that are productive, the more division of labor we can enjoy, and the more specialized uh, their services will be, uh, and the more problems we can solve. So more humans is by default a good thing, and more Bitcoin humans by default is a good thing. Uh, because we have an infinite amount of problems and we need more people to fix them. And these people need to be better equipped in order to fix them. And how are you going to get better equipped? By having strong property rights, especially by having strong property rights into the monetary system. Uh, because that then enables, uh, well, not just the investment opportunities, but but also the, the pricing mechanisms that we discussed earlier, which are essential in the, alloc in, in the non-wasteful allocation of resources. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, and we, you know, having traveled a lot, um, uh, as I know you have too, we we notice the the absurdity of all of these borders and uh, you know bureaucratic papers that that hinder people from uh, and steal their time and and hinder them from from interacting with one another. So, uh, what 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 are your thoughts on on like? the 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 risks uh, to uh, going into the future what what are some of the risks uh, for the european union to begin with and for for the world as a whole uh, i guess we're going to see more clown world shit before uh, <laughs> before this thing plays out i i try to be an optimist i i try to choose to be an optimist because i see the uh, just the the fact that we can have this video call uh, by the click of a button, and uh, we have Bitcoin, and we have all sorts of other tools. Uh, I mean, all you need to do to connect to absolutely anyone in the world can be done instantly, and it's not that hard to to get to talk to a famous person, for instance, or or someone, a, a very busy person, or whatever. I, I mean, all of these things are are so much more. Uh, so easier than they used to be, which which enables people to cooperate on a, on a whole different level. So I see that happening simultaneously as you see this uh, decadent collapse of the fiat monetary system where everything has to be more and more 
based on on credit and based on stupid uh, stupid consumerist bullshit that's going on everywhere. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the the big problem of the the fiat monetary system is obviously the inflation. Uh, and the fact that this inflation leads to malinvestment and overconsumption. Uh, so because people perceive that they are wealthy, they invest in additional resources or in, in additional production stages. However, with each additional investment, the, the quality of the investment decreases. And right? because you've already invested in the, the best investment opportunity with, with the last unit of money, so the next unit of money obviously has to go into the marginally worse one. So this means we we will invest our resources into ever worse and worse products, and, and, uh, while simultaneously people are overconsuming. So because price levels tend to increase in the future, you will need to get rid of your money as soon as possible to buy anything, uh, because in the future anything or everything will be more expensive. Uh, so there's a, there's like this is an attack on two fronts. For one, people start new investment projects that are much longer. And uh, th than they otherwise would have been, uh, even to that extent that it, without the inflation, these projects would never have been started in the first place. So we allocate resources uh, we, uh, and capital into longer production stages for things that we otherwise wouldn't even have touched at all. While simultaneously, we keep on consuming resources uh, th that we otherwise would not have consumed. So ultimately, that is a massive well, um, resource consumption or, or misallocation of resources. And the sad thing is, all of this happens during the boom period where everyone is feeling rich, uh, which we're arguably still in the boom period induced by the fiat system. And it's been going on for at least 100 years. The last 10, 20 years were pretty insane in terms of money printing. Um, uh, arguably, the, the fiat scam has been going on for thousands of years. Um, so there, there was a, lo a lot of malinvestment and overconsumption in the past, and there is no way to make that go away. Those are mistakes that happened in the past, and the consequences of those mistakes are still to come. Um, that is the bust. That's when we realize that we've wasted resources on long production stages so much that we cannot even finish shorter level production stages of, of things that are actually really important. You know, we've, we've used all the steel and concrete to build yet another ugly fiat house, while actually we now no longer have the resources that are needed to build, to finish building the hospital, for example. So not just will the, the ugly fiat houses not be completed, even the very important infrastructure projects will not be completed either um, because of a lack of resources, because we've uh, applied it into long production stages and consumed it. Uh, on the other side as well. And, well, there's no way to get around this. However, Bitcoin comes into play to uh, to speed up the bust. So because Bitcoin is here, the fiat economy will collapse much sooner than it otherwise would have. Because all of a sudden, Bitcoin introduces the, the real opportunity cost of saving money for the long term. Um, that opportunity cost not or being very unprofitable in the fiat system. In Bitcoin, it's a very profitable thing to save your money well, because the money is more valuable in the future. So Bitcoin makes individuals much more frugal. Uh, Bitcoiners invest their money into way shorter projects if they even invest their money at all. 
most most Bitcoiners have zero investments. You know, they they just hoard their money and they're not giving it to anyone, including to any entrepreneur, to to go on a, and be productive. Which means well, that, well you can some of them uh, invest a, a small part just just for for their own um, amusement's sake and to 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 uh, to see if it works. Definitely, right? Your time preference cannot be negative. You you always have to consume. Uh, and, and, and therefore, you always have to produce in order to get the things that you want to consume. But it is way lower than it otherwise would have been. Um, and and this means that every Bitcoiner that starts stacking sats and that actually holds them uh, is an active part in reallocating those resources away from the, the fiat-induced schemes uh, into nothing, right? You uh, Again, Bitcoiners in, don't invest their money uh, when they hold it. Uh, it's holding money is the literal opposite of investing money. Um, you, you're telling every entrepreneur who's asking you for money that he's not good enough, that his projects are not important enough, uh, that that not investing is better than investing. Um, and this just means we will reduce our resource consumption substantially with every sat that you hold. Uh, the you reduce the amount of resources allocated today, uh, so that we have more resources available in the future. Uh, and that is something that we very, very, very much need. Um, we need to stop the the wasteful allocation of resources that are induced by the fiat system. And through Bitcoin, the bust meaning uh, will come much sooner. And, and the bust is when we realize that we cannot, we don't have enough resources available today to finish these projects. So the entrepreneurs that started these projects and that own them will go bankrupt. Uh, they uh, meaning that they have to sell them uh, uh, to to someone else, and that someone else then will will sh- will take away those resources from those production stages that were fiat induced and try to apply them to something else. Now the big problem, of course, is that once we start transforming uh, uh, general resources, let's like for example, you know, a, a block of steel, it could be anything, into more specific production goods, let's say an, an engine. Uh, or, or, or something, uh, it, it, it's very difficult to undo that transformation, to turn that engine into a piece of just steel again, you know, or, or, or to, to break down a house and, and get out the concrete and the steel and the wirings and whatnot that, that made it up. Um, however, we, we can do that um, thanks to the fiat entrepreneurs going bust much sooner. Um, so yeah, Bitcoin is a way to for the bus to happen much sooner and for those people who are well smart enough uh, to stop investing into the fiat scams to profit greatly at the expense of those fiat entrepreneurs that have made such well tremendous misallocations yeah the this reminds me of the discussion you and I had a couple of months back about the difference between hodling and saving the uh, because uh, as you say, uh, holding on to money is is a deliberate action. According to praxeology, it's a delayed gratification. That is just that. That is saving. Uh, I, I would you know for, for, to make it easy for the listeners here, I would call it saving and hodling to make the distinction between the two. And saving is something you do in order to uh, 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 you do that w- with a clear intention of of using that money at some point in the future. Uh, I argue, however, that that might not be the case with hodling. 
because you can hodl. Hodling uh, uh, can be a human action, but it doesn't necessarily have to be because inanimate objects can hodl Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, dead people can hodl Bitcoin. Uh, the the example I love is like imagine that Hal Finney uh, remembered memorized a, a, a Bitcoin private key before he died and cryo froze his head, and we find a way to resurrect him in four thousand years, and he comes back and he can unlock those Bitcoin and become immensely rich in his new body. Uh, so so in your mind, have, have you given this more thought? Is there is there a difference between difference between the action uh, of saving and the action of hodling? Yes, I, I so I, Eric Waskbill is again very great at this point that that saving money is a consumption uh, because it comes at the opportunity cost of the market rate of return. So instead of saving your money, you could have given it to an entrepreneur, either via debt or equity, so that he goes and is productive and gives you more money in the future. Um, and on top of that, if you want to save your money, you have a demurrage cost. There's a cost of using money. You know, in the classical sense, you need if you have gold coins, you need to have a, a physical box, a safe deposit box to put the gold coins in, and you need to hire a, a bodyguard to stand in front of the box with, with a gun. Uh, and then, if you want to move the gold to somewhere else, you need to well apply a lot of actual energy and, and power uh, to move that weight uh, across space. Um, so all of these things are are quite costly. Um, and even in the Bitcoin realm, there is a cost of receiving and holding and spending money. Uh, specifically, the, the on-chain transaction costs. You need to convince a miner to include your transaction into a Bitcoin block. And you need to have the computer to, to generate or to verify how much money you have and to generate the signature uh, that actually spends that money. So there's definitely a cost of, of holding Bitcoin. Um, and, and simultaneously, there are very much uh, profitable entrepreneurs in the Bitcoin space. So um, that, that means that holding money or, or saving money is a consumption, right? And uh, it, it decreases your capital over time. You know, you, you get less and less Bitcoin uh, if, because you need to buy your hardware wallet and, and, and things like this. Um, and then, you know, to the point of, of that people being able to huddle, well, that people aren't human anymore. Like humans are defined as being alive. Yeah, but that's what I mean. That it hodling can be a human action, but it can also it doesn't necessarily have to be a human action. Uh, uh, saving is something that only humans can do, but hodling is is something else completely. That's that's my well, argument. I guess, so saving, and then I, I guess has the the intent of spending in the future, uh, and that people no longer have the intent of spending things in the future. No, they don't Hodl have hodling can have that intent, but doesn't necessarily have. I mean, even as a, you can you can time lock your Bitcoin for, for five generations ahead, then you have an intent of your grandchildren spending them, but it's not really your intent of spending them yourself at some point in the future. But uh, you would still spend your yeah, that, that's, that is that is a human action. I, uh, I grant you that, but but yeah. Uh, uh, where were we? You said something here. Um, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, yeah, about the opportunity cost for 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 uh, hodling Bitcoin as compared to gold. I mean, the the big difference is that uh, the cost of storing and hodling uh, 
0.01 Bitcoin is exactly the same as the, the, the cost of hodling and storing a thousand Bitcoins. Uh, be, be, because the uh, size does not matter for the costs uh, involved. Of course, there's uh, what, what matters is um, Satoshis per byte when when you when you spend them, but if you choose to spend them on a Sunday and you <laughs> you know you, you know your stuff around that and how to circumvent the the, the largest costs, those costs can be uh, you mean uh, what Greg Foss would call a rounding error. Uh, I mean they would be so infinitely small. Say if you had a hundred thousand bitcoins. Uh, Storing and then subsequently spending that at some point can be insanely cheap uh, in comparison to anything else uh, with that kind of value attached to it. So, 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 uh, and that that type of difference in that the amount doesn't really affect the cost of the storage. Uh, how does that play into to uh, like the dynamics of of this thing? Yeah, that's that's very interesting because storing and moving an ounce of gold versus ten kilos of gold is very very different. Um, so, yeah, that is quite unique in in how Bitcoin works. And there are other ways to uh, transferring possession of Bitcoin that do not involve a a blockchain transaction that where you have to bribe miners to to get confirmed. The Lightning Network is a great example. Yeah, um, just an open dime. <laughs> like, open dime is an even better. Example. Twelve yeah. magic words. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and then blowing your head off, so so to ensure that you you actually moved and didn't just copy the words. <laughs> exactly. Well, state chains, uh, by the way, are, are an interesting way to use a private key transfer uh, to to move coins uh, or like the, the the possession of coins to other people by actually transferring a private key. However, that only works while trusting a, a third party with, with co-signing transactions. Um, so, but in any case, there's many, many different ways of of transferring Bitcoin. Um, yet, and here again, we just need to get smarter about using the system, um, uh, and we definitely will be. So, I, I expect the the cost of of moving Bitcoin to will change at the very least, uh, and it it will. It, it will get cheaper in some ways and it will get more expensive in others. You know, like opening a lightning channel will probably get incredibly expensive just because of the cost of uh, of making a blockchain transaction. But then updating a payment channel will be quite cheap uh, versus then routing a payment through the lightning network uh, via updating multiple payment channels is again something where all of a sudden the, the cost depends on the amount of Satoshis that you transfer. Uh, so th these are all different types of demurrage costs in different payment systems of satoshis that are very difficult to predict in the future um you know if if you if you would have asked people 10 years ago about the future cost of bitcoin payments they would have probably estimated a much larger number than it actually is right now because well the, the cost of verifying payments has reduced drastically with things like segwit um while the uh, uh, you know while while technologies like the Lightning Network and, and payment channels or or things like you know, OpenDime are well, very new and, and in a way that that people ten years ago would not uh, certainly not have been able to imagine. So yeah, the the ingenuity of and, and the creativity of humans will will continue to baffle us, uh, and so it's very very hard to make predictions about the demurrage cost uh, of of holding money uh, in, in the Bitcoin system. Yeah, but but even now the the 
that cost is very very low in comparison to hodling or or storing anything else really uh, if you're uh, you know if you have a lot of crap uh, furniture and, and plastic toys and whatnot some people are hoarders and they uh, they 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 uh, get a storage space for all their crap and they have a a, a cost attached to that i mean uh, bitcoins are vastly different uh, uh, compared to physical goods just be because of this very notion of m moving uh, ownership or possession into the the actual intellectual realm this is an actual intellectual property <laughs> the, the, the first reasonable intellectual property claims are bitcoin utxos yeah um intellectual property is a, a is a, a an interesting subject too i know we we both hate intellectual property <laughs> or the concept of it except for the only actual intellectual property with, which would be bitcoin yeah well, uh, which which you know arguably isn't even well arguably bitcoin isn't property again right there's so property is is a legal concept of uh, and, and a social concept of of do other people agree that you have a certain claim on resources and um that and do they acknowledge these claims um bitcoin is a is a way of of just using speech uh which are non-scarce and where there cannot be a reasonable claim of owning uh, a certain set of uh, of words or a certain set of code or a certain set of ideas and the the beautiful thing is bitcoin enables ownership without relying on uh, enforcing exclusivity of information um, by simply using very large numbers like you don't own your private key uh, it's just a set of 12 words after all and you don't own these words and you can't prevent other people from 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 using these words however you can just you know pick a really 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 large number randomly and you don't need to enforce others to not think about this number or, no, or to not know about this number uh, you, you just use well cryptography as a way of of randomly picking such a large random number that if someone else were to try to you know randomly pick a number um that large he would most certainly not come up with the same number that that you came up with um so th that's the beauty of of cryptography and and private keys we're just because we have computers that can reason or, or compute such tremendously large values like actual numerical values i mean um which our brain is not capable of um it yeah, well it becomes impossible for someone else to know the same number that you know and all of a sudden you have not exclusive possession or, or like not an exclusive right to possess but you have the exclusive knowledge of something that is not possible for someone else to know as well unless you tell them so it's a, a secret isn't property then mm -hmm. uh, you couldn't you couldn't call a secret someone's property no because the secret is just information right and yeah. um however you have the power to to reveal that information to someone else uh, and un unless you choose to reveal it to someone uh, it is impossible for that person to guess it um yeah, yeah especially it, in the sense of private keys but here we could go deeper and say that at its core everything is information right the fundamental particles that make up the universe 
there's no way of knowing if they contain anything but information. But I guess, <laughs> but that's taking it a bit a tad too far, I guess, uh, for this discussion anyway. Uh, We'll need a couple of ponchos first. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, where to go next with this? Um, Luke, do you have a question for us or for for Max? Hey guys, hey Max. Yeah, this is uh, this has been great. Uh, I've just been letting you roll. Awesome to be a fly on the wall for this. But uh, maybe to to take it back a little bit more towards the beginning of the discussion. Uh, one thing that I am interested in is how this praxeology stuff is impactful to the daily lives of Bitcoiners and, and to yourself. Has the praxeology thinking about this stuff, has it helped you in your life and how you orient yourself in the world? Oh yeah, for sure. Because without understanding praxeology, I would not be a Bitcoiner at all. And um, uh, because of getting uh, to really think about the the consequences of human action you you really get to understand the value of voluntary association and, and consensual exchange and you get to understand the the reasons of why money exists uh, and the reasons of why it is so useful and about the the qualitative differences between money and about why shitty money is really 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 bad and with shitty money i mean money that you are forced to use uh, and specifically, money that um, you're uh, that, that you're not allowed to produce yourself, where someone else can produce the money very cheaply, but uh, and sell it to you at, at uh, like at an artificially high price, uh, but you are not allowed to produce that money at all. Right? If if you would you know start printing U.S. dollars, um, I'm pretty sure you're going to get someone knocking on your door quite soon. But the genius thing is like with Bitcoin, you you're the that can print the money software that defines the monetary rules and that verifies the monetary rules on, on a set of transactions and that enforces uh, the, the declaration of invalidity to transactions that do not adhere to your set of rules. Um, so, um, yeah, with, with Bitcoin, I, I wouldn't be a Bitcoiner for sure, so I wouldn't be stacking sats hard. And that means I, I wouldn't have, well, as much capital available, right? Uh, especially capital that cannot be stolen from me. Um, and that that alone is already worth it very much to, um, in order to get a good conviction of, uh, of, of that Bitcoin is useful, um, you, you need to understand economic reasoning. But it, it's not just about the money. Um, I don't think I would be as human loving without the understanding of, uh, of praxeology. Like, uh, it's very easy to become nihilistic and to hate humans and, and to see us just as a cancer on this planet uh, and, and something, a, a disease that should be extinguished, you know, um, like that, that is a very, a very easy trap to fall into. And it's, it's a sad mindset to be in, you know, to, to think that your own existence is, is something that we're better if it were not there. Uh, that's, that's sad, to be honest. Um, and praxeology really gave me a, yeah, and understanding that humans are beautiful creatures, that, that we're a marvel to behold, and that, that our existence is something to, to flourish and something to be extremely proud of about, about how we are and, and what we can achieve. And uh, that it, I, I think just these different, this different mindset makes you a better person, 
a kinder person and and one that's um also more useful you know like it's it's nice to understand what it means to solve someone else's problems um or, or like or what it means to be an entrepreneur which is just to solve someone else's problems it's it's a lot of clarity uh in 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 the way of thinking and um it yeah it helps you in so many ways i mean it's 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 really baffling. Plus, it's just super fun to think about. I mean, these are so difficult, um, like difficult mental challenges. You know, like what are the consequences of minimum wage? You know, what are the consequences of inflation, of taxation, of all of all these other things? Or what are the consequences of good money? It's super interesting to think about, uh, and it's yeah, just a nice way of spending time. So I I, I enjoy researching and, and thinking about economics. Tremendously, uh, I, I totally agree with this, and I can relate to all of it. So, what he said, <laughs> all of all of it, it's it's just just the appreciation for for other people. That's that's key, because it's as you say, it's very easy to become a cynic because there's so mm -hmm. much, but, but because you see the bad stuff before you see the good stuff, it's easy to complain uh, and. Uh, because it's easy to see what's wrong with the systems we live in and why resources get misallocated. But then again, I'm sitting in front of a computer saying this, and there are yeah. little, you know, <laughs> the the screen is working. That in itself is a is a complete miracle. So yeah, grateful for 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 being alive, especially at this point in time. But because it truly feels like we're living through something really special here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So how would you encourage people listening to start to incorporate some of these ideas to maybe make some of these changes that you see as positive for yourself? Well, there's there's only one hard rule, and that's don't steal. Uh, and it's a bloody difficult rule, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's tempting to steal um and the the worst thing about the fiat scam is that it it tricks you into stealing and you might not even know about it um but demanding to get paid in a fiat in an inflationary fiat currency is stealing every time you get paid in us dollars you're stealing from billions of people and you your children including yeah, your children including your like it's not even just it's trillions of people it's not just the people who are alive today it's all the people that that want to get paid in that money, even in the future. So it's 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 a it's a horrendous crime um, to to get paid in fiat and and, and to want that and and to hold it. Um, so no, like it's it's not just about not you know pick, pickpocketing a, a bubble gum in the store. Like yeah, that's already bad as well. But but theft, like we're. <laughs> Yeah, it's so sad of of how humans got got tricked into stealing and of of thinking that the stealing is. Is is not just a good thing, but that it's that it's a, a requirement. It's a necessity for life. Um, it's that's yeah. It's, it's it's really sad, and also not just about about actively stealing yourself, but in, but encouraging or or acknowledging that the theft of others is a good thing as well. You know, like supporting governments, like that is fundamentally mm. evil. Like you should yeah. not be in support of governments. That is a bad thing to do, um, and it's. Well, it, it, it takes a lot of conviction of, um, of, of uh, like realizing that and and then really applying it in, into your life. It's not at all easy. Uh, it's it's a big adventure, 
Um, and, and like the, the, the second rule um, that I would follow is mind your own business. Like if, if it's none of your business, just stay out of it. Um, if it's other people's property, uh, let them do their stuff. Uh, it, your opinions don't matter if it's someone else's property. Um, which of course is also very difficult because yeah, if you see someone else doing something that you don't like, of course you're angry and you want to yell at him and, and convince him of doing something else. But it's just fundamentally none of your business. Um, and and I guess these two rules: don't steal and mind your own business. Uh, just trying to apply that is, I guess, the the, the adventure of a lifetime. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Well said. I I have two rules for my kids. Rule number one is shut the fuck up, and rule number two is don't be retarded. And <laughs> so that, that that's my tip for raising kids. Uh, but arguably, I should use your rules instead and teach them those. <laughs> well, the shut the fuck up is pretty much the same thing as don't as mind your own business. And, uh, I don't know. Don't, don't be retarded. Has don't steal baked into it. Exactly. <laughs> That's the thing, right? Stealing is actually really retarded, like on, on many levels. It's just super stupid. People get tricked into it, I think. Um, and yeah. yeah, when you see what the what political debates are about and the the, the intellectual level of, of these people, uh, it's it's truly depressing to, to watch. And it's very easy to see why, why people choose to become cynics and mm -hmm why they sometimes do atrocious things to themselves and to others because they become cynics yeah. Be because it's so dark uh, seeing that the, the people on top and the people with the most resources and with the most power are 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 retarded for lack of a better word <laughs> but they truly are because they they don't even see the, the, the their own flaws not 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 even the they haven't even scratched the surface of, of their own flaws and how oxymoronic the things they say are uh, because <laughs> you know if if socialists uh, understood economics there wouldn't be any socialists that's that's just the fact and even the most uh, so-called conservative politicians uh, whatever the the ones that Same are supposedly thing. exactly and the, and the point i'm going to make is is uh, all of these politicians now who are scrambling to put in inflation relief by sending money to everyone and uh the the whole thing is i'm i'm just staring at this saying well, what do you think was the problem in the first place guys yeah so it's, it's 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 beyond mind-blowing that so few react to this like that they don't see it it's it's such to to us bitcoiners especially it's so obvious that that won't only not work but that it will worsen the problem like <laughs> but, but like you come to these realizations because you had a, a huge paradigm shift you know it's it's like from a you know heliocentric like moving to a heliocentric worldview that um that yeah once you see it you cannot unsee it no, but the, before you see it, it's just impossible to realize that. And like, it's, I mean, probably all of, all of us had like authoritarian socialist beliefs in the past, uh, before realizing at some point, you know, the yeah. fundamental axioms or, or the fundamental logic of, of humans and, and, and freedom. And, um, be, before that point, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, 
like not impossible, but very difficult um, to to get over these these views and these mindsets. Yeah, and we all had those tendencies at some point. I don't think I know ever anyone that was born a uh, a hardcore libertarian that that was completely anti-state. That uh, that is something you grow into over time. Even though you could have you could have had the the tendency all of, all of your life, but very few, at least, uh, uh, you know. Even, I mean, very few even know what libertarianism is and what it implies and why why it is the way it is. They just think that uh, we're evil capitalists that want to steal their resources when the opposite is true. Yeah, uh, young people are are easily manipulated, and and I think uh, it took me a while to to understand that. But then you see New Zealand uh, thinking of uh, putting their voting age down to sixteen, and and this is just a recipe yeah. for them to have the most left wing government in the world forever mm -hmm. uh, until the system collapses on itself, yeah. and no one wants to live in New Zealand anymore. They they tried to do that in Sweden. But then they realized that all the all the kids are voting for the Sweden Democrats, the nationalists. So then the left wingers took that suggestion back again because it wasn't, you know, good for them. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, I think Titus Gabel uh, said it very well uh, at the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference uh, that there is only one human right, and it's the right to be left alone. So if you if you have that as a starting point for your for your ethics and uh, how you think about the world, then everything starts making sense. Uh, it's a very basic thing, because other all the other positive human rights they they are by necessity they need to to infringe on someone else's uh, <laughs> right to be left alone. Anything tax funded must be preceded by theft. And coercion somewhere, so mm. a, a state cannot acquire resources in any other way uh, and by any other means than 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 taking it away involuntarily from their populations. There was there was a voluntary tax fund in Norway for a short while, but they didn't manage to raise any money. Like you can pay extra tax if you want. <laughs> you think anyone did? Of course not, because people do not want to pay taxes. No one. Well, does. they certainly don't want to pay more taxes when you're already paying forty percent. No, exactly, and they they all want other people to pay more, but never themselves. <laughs> and it's the same thing with everything. You 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 want you want different rules. Most people want different rules to apply to different people. And that's the beauty of praxeology, also, because uh, these are truths that are universal, and they they do not care about your race or creed or sex or whatever religion or they because they cannot they apply to all human beings uh, like all ethics go, all good ethics should and mm -hmm. the only way to have something apply to all human beings is is to not have uh, is to have strong property rights so and that's the beauty of bitcoin it, it lays a foundation for a, a set of rules that cannot apply differently to different groups of people it's impossible uh, the same rules apply to everyone, and it's completely voluntary. And uh, uh, yeah, and this, this might be like the the like one of the many genius consequences of Bitcoin is that it confronts people with a universal ethic all of a sudden, like a, a, a set of monetary rules that 
just apply it, full stop, regardless where, regardless to whom. And that opens your eyes. Uh, it, it like shows you what's possible. And well, then I guess you start thinking about where, where, where is a similar approach real and possible in, in other areas? And I think that's why so many people get, get drawn to, to anarchist principles and, and to praxeological reasoning. Um, because as, as Knut says, these, this is just how it is. If you're a human actor who can argue, those are the consequences and there's no way around it. And since you can't argue your, yourself out of the fact that you can argue, uh, well, they, they apply full stop, regardless where you are, regardless who you are, and regardless when you are. They, they just are. That's that, a great that, point. And, you know, I think, I think the, the reason to think about these ideas as I'm putting it together, be, because what, what I like to find uh, when I'm thinking about things is, one, how can I apply this to make my life better? But also, what is the reason why thinking about this is good? Why is, why is it a good thing to do for this? Because I want to evangelize that idea. Uh, think about these things and, uh, and uh, grow your freedom footprint to try and use our first tagline. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the, the real thing I see here is that uh, it's, it's a tool for, for people to... Bitcoiners, but people in general, to look at this and understand the world better and then take it to uh, a level of um, making practical decisions that are actually in line with reality instead of, instead of based on this distorted system that has been um, shoved down our collective consciousnesses, right? And, and so I, I hope that uh, if someone is listening to this conversation and just getting into praxeology, um, that this can be a starting point to building this understanding, uh, which, which I think will continue to dig deeper down the rabbit hole and all that. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, it, it's, it, for me, it just come, stems from this uh, will to or wish to to uh, to understand reality better and um, praxeology is definitely a shortcut to that because it 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 removes a lot of unnecessary uh, uh, hurdles that that you uh, you you thought you knew how the world worked but but you can you can very easily see where your thinking was flawed and and you become a better thinker by by uh by deep diving into this, so I can recommend it to absolutely everyone in the universe because it will it will make make life on Earth easier for everyone if if more people dive into this for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah there, there's just something to clarity and, and to really understanding something and and to be able to get to the point. Um, it like you know it it just makes click and you see something obvious and from there on out, it, things start just making to starting to make sense and that's a nice mode to be in to not be confused but to know to know what's going on um that's that's a luxury 
Yeah, and the, yeah. the two, the, both of the two of you, Max and Knut, you, you, you're both uh, also testaments to the things that can come out the other end when you're thinking in this mindset. Uh, Knut, you've, you've got your books, which have inspired so many people. And Max, we haven't even talked about all the projects that, uh, that you're involved in. And maybe we'll, uh, we'll bring you back on another time to talk a little more about that sort of thing. But, but it's, a, it's amazing to me and fantastic that these conversations on the base layer can, can happen. And, and this is the stuff that I hope is inspiring because uh, hearing the, the philosophy and the thinking about it, um, I, I think seeing the results is also uh, one reason to, um, to explore these things because if, uh, if, these, um, if the two of you are producing such great things, then maybe someone else who is starting to think about this stuff can also learn to do something and uh, see the world in a more clear way to find out how they can contribute to the world, to Bitcoin, to whatever. So that's yeah, my exactly. hope here. Yeah, action, action speaks louder than words. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Sure. And, and that's like the best, the best feedback that, that I, I get is when, when, when people say, hey, you know, like because of the, the, the reasoning that I laid out or the, the information that I shared, they, they started to contribute to some free software projects or, you know, they, they started to evangelize Bitcoin. They, they, they stopped getting paid in fiat, you know, all of, all of these things that, that are, I'll say it's crazy, you know, that, that humans figured out a way to get so damn efficient with sharing information. Uh, and it's, it's so impactful. It's so real. Like the, the consequences of the words that we speak, not just here, but but also with the code that we run, they're real. Like this is changing everything, and it it's just goosebumps every time you you realize about the the immense power and the immense impact that that random dudes like you and me can have on this world. Like it's yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, it it, it truly is. I, I vividly remember the first time I I, uh, I got goosebumps from from an interaction with another Bitcoiner, and it was a guy from Venezuela who managed to 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 flee the country into Colombia after having read my book, and that 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 just him and and his family. So 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 my my writings contributed to to an actual person fleeing from a, a tyrannical government into another I, I get goosebumps talking about it yeah, the, 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 that that thing could actually it, I, never in my wildest dreams would i have believed something like that could ever happen to me like but 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 the things we do matter they they yeah. they they echo oh, and so they, much, yeah and they uh, uh, the, there are rings on the water and butterfly effects of everything is everywhere and it's just so so and that's why i devoted my life to just conversations about this thing and 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 you know putting my thoughts on paper about this thing because i can't think of anything more rewarding to do with my time at this point in in history yeah, of yeah. course not. <laughs> like no, like obvious. <laughs> it's, it's, obvious. Oh, yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> obvious. Yeah, yeah. Look, hello. <laughs> Wake the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Bitcoin is insane. Like, and like once you get it, like you, you just can't stop but shout from the mountaintops about this this magical thing. No. Like no. seriously, it's it's like the philosopher's stone, and like at the. The way that it changes people is the most crazy thing out of all. Like the fact that it works technologically, that, that's cool and all, but 
the way that it that it changes who you are and and how you act and and how you feel and how you think and how you love is it, it's unspeakable yeah this this is this is exactly what 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 my talks turned into over time this this fall that bitcoin's bitcoin's killer app is you and me uh, mm -hmm. bitcoin is not a killer app for us we are its killer app because of the, just that the way it it changes how we interact with one another because changing the the rules of human interaction is changing absolutely everything fundamentally and how we operate and how uh, like you say, th theft is retarded and it's hard to not steal. I mean, just the fact that you came to those conclusions via this thing, <laughs> it, it, it's so profound. Uh, and if more people, the more people that can come to those realizations, the better, better off we are, of course. Like, yeah, it's like I said, it's so bleeding obvious that this is the thing. Yeah. And this, it's, you know, it's participatory knowledge. Like once you fall down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you feel how it changes you. Like you actually experience that you've become a better human being yeah. with interacting through this. And if it's true for for, for me, then it's true for others too, right? And and like if what happens then if if this technology impacts billions of people, like not just now but for a prolonged period of time. And what does it do to the next generation who who are born and who grow up in a world where where this magic exists and is is around them? And, and, and like, what happens after seven generations of this? Yeah, I that's fucking no. But like, holy shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah those things are. Uh, uh, it's so. Yeah, Luke, do you feel it? Do you feel it? Do you feel Bitcoin making you a better person? Right now, <laughs> right now, <laughs> absolutely, right now, definitely. <laughs> the tingly feeling in your kneecaps, yeah, exactly. Maybe that's sitting down too long and not Bitcoin, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I said too much during the day, anyway. But yeah, it's no, it, it's it's amazing, and I mean, I'm I'm glad to, to have these uh, these conversations, and uh, um, uh, we're we're at the end of uh, the, the time we. Booked. I have a feeling we could probably continue talking, but uh, maybe maybe <laughs> now that that we've hit uh, such a yeah. metaphysical little spot, maybe now is the right time to uh, to close for the day. But uh, Max, is there anything else you'd like to bring up, or anywhere you'd like to direct uh, listeners towards who'd like to connect with you or find out more about what you're doing? You know, the really good conversations start three hours in, so so. <laughs> this wasn't even the good part yet, but uh. <laughs> no. Which which is why we have to to make a a, a sequel to this. Yeah, but we then we start from zero again. So. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, we will just have to have someone bug us at the next fucking VIP party. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seriously, like I've been I've been thinking about this. You know, the, the Bitcoin tribe gatherings are are so insane, man. The frequency there is 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 magical and. Why do we even have stages? You know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> we really should just you know do it Big Brother style and have cameras and microphones everywhere, and we just have like a horde of Bitcoiners oh, sitting. Bitcoiners love that. Oh yeah, it would be great. Love having cameras everywhere. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, there's 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 yeah, there's a magic of of getting together, uh, and. and 
really just focusing our 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 joint minds and hearts on on thinking and about these problems and and solving them like yeah it's it's, it's crazy you know and we're again man, we're just getting started that's the that's the it's the most crazy thing that like it's only been about 13, 14 years and we've, we already see a first glimpse of the consequences of this. It, it, yeah, it's, it's ineffable, seriously, about, about what's to come. We are not prepared at fucking all. We're going to be no. so wrecked because we have, we're underestimating this so much. It's insane. It's and like the long-term consequences of this are... Yeah, and unfucking speakable. Oh, can't wait! Word, to, can't wait to word, see! It. Can't wait word, to find uh, out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, uh, too bad. That's a great note to 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 stop on. But but it is Max, and and thanks so much for for coming on. And of course, you're welcome on any time. If you feel like a conversation, hook hook us up, and we'll we'll continue this. Otherwise, we'll harass you and get you back somehow. <laughs> Before you become, you know, a statue in each uh, city on the globe, which will happen eventually, and yeah, it, yeah it would be a beautiful statue with a unbuttoned shirt and a big beard and you know <laughs> a kingly look. So, uh, <laughs> looking forward to the bright orange future and uh, yeah, um, yeah. Thanks, fellas, for for the invitation and and the great conversation. I really enjoyed. Yeah. It. We'll, we'll have to talk about wasabi next time, but uh, but yeah, yeah we, we left that out this time, but we'll get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We laid the groundwork, but you know, wasabi is the like to to a lot of sense the 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 culmination of all of those thoughts. Like I I would not be working and contributing to wasabi if if not for the study of praxeology and and the understandings of the importance of of individual property rights and and individual privacy, like. Those are those are conclusions, and Wasabi is is the cathedral that is being built uh, based based on those principles. And yeah, it's the fucking ride of my lifetime. So it's it's yeah, that's most important. Like you know, big, we we just fanboyed like crazy about how important Bitcoin is. And for me, Wasabi is the most important project in the Bitcoin space. And like with Bitcoin being that fucking crazy important like it's it's a really high claim for me to or like a high statement for me to be working and dedicating most all of my time on on building wasabi like it's it's you know praxeological proof because i'm working on it that's me being convinced that this is the most important thing that i could be doing right now with my time and yeah considering all the craziness that's going on that's it's quite a high high claim so it's Check out wasabiwallet.io. It's it's quite something. Could be a lot better. Will be a lot better. Um, but what we have now is already magic, man. We solved the final the final problem of Bitcoin was was privacy. That you were forced to reveal, not forced, but you you were tricked into revealing a lot of information about yourself. And wasabi is a way to by default reveal very little about yourself in terms of your financial actions. And um, now we have anonymous money. Full stop. That's that's like, like, it's it's fixed now. We have the, we have the money. It's that's done. Let's move on to something else. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh. that's beautiful. Uh, thanks, yeah. Max. And um, so wasabiwallet.io and then uh, anywhere else, uh, Twitter or anything like that? Twitter is just Hillybrand Max. Uh, TowardsLiberty.com, there's, there's all my contact details. There's also the book that I mentioned earlier where I'm horribly failing to actually write it. <laughs> but that's about praxeology and on privacy. Um, so eventually I'll, I'll sit down and, and uh, you know, hash out, like actually write all this stuff. Or I just get Knut to be my ghostwriter. That might be <laughs> Maybe we should do it together. Yeah. Uh, maybe. <laughs> you know, my, my best tip for writing a book is don't decide beforehand what it's about. Mm. Because then you'll get writer's block all the way. Uh, you, you know, you you make the process boring by doing that. Mm. <laughs> so it's the only way I know how to write a book. I know other authors do it differently, but mm -hmm. of course. But you have to be a very disciplined person in order to write first, figure out what it's about, and then write it. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, that would be homework, and I fucking hate <laughs> homework. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, I it's just, just wing like, it. Yeah, just wing it. Yeah, <laughs> for me, it's just I need to actually sit down and write. You know, I have all this stuff in my head. It just needs to get put on paper. So now, yeah. eventually, all the Bitcoiners are gonna get locked up in the Gulag anyhow. Which, by the way, is gonna be the best Bitcoin conference ever. Yeah, yeah. And the, the prison guards yeah, are gonna be so annoying. Yes. Best so, Gulag ever. You know, at, at that point, at the very latest, I'm gonna finally be. Yeah, writing. then we're then we're gonna write the book. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, see you next time, Max. Uh, uh, I hope to see you soon in reality as well. I will see you in, uh, if not before that, in Prague. Uh, in June, I believe there's a conference, uh, and I will see you in Miami, maybe. Nope. Uh, oh, probably not. <laughs> uh, maybe Madeira. Madeira. Cool. We'd love to come Madeira. Enjoy yeah, the yeah. Weather. Yeah, island. I'll I'll tell you when I'm going, and I uh, uh, hope you nice. do the same to me. <coughs> uh, yep. Yeah. So, uh, see you soon. Thanks Take very care. much, Book and Knut. See you around, fellas. Bye-bye. Yep. Thanks again for uh, for joining us. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks again, Max. Hello, man. Thanks.